Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. But I also realized that the fun of business is the fluidity of your ability to create. And again, I had a music background. I've always loved the ability. I love jazz. I love the fluidity of it. And business for me was a place where I could just create and different ways of doing business was is how can you put two separate things together and make them both work? Uh, whether it's people or ideas or products or whatever, it's just a matter of standing in the middle and looking at these two things and saying, well, what are the similarities and how do I bring them together? And so I really found that was my, my place. So without a degree, what happened is I, I just didn't fall in to the concept that there needs to be a structured way to apply business. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening in on this week's episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. Today's guest is Neil Twa. Neil is the CEO of Voltage Holdings, a company that launches, operates, and acquires e-commerce brands with a focus on Amazon FBA. Neil is a longtime e-commerce expert, helping businesses succeed on Amazon and earn up to 100K per month through his proven sales strategies. According to Neil, there's a world of opportunities for retailers on Amazon. Neil says success comes when you play by the rules and focus on branding. He shares with us some tips and tricks to becoming a profitable seller on Amazon. In this episode, we chat about becoming an entrepreneur and whether having a degree is important. Amazon FBA and how it can help you build a revenue stream. And why mindset is a key component to success. Amazon is such a large part of e-commerce and society as a whole. If you're looking for some new income opportunities or you want to learn about Amazon FBA, I'm sure you'll learn a lot from Neil in our discussion. Enjoy this episode. And as always, I'd love to know what you think. Hey, Neil, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today, man? I am doing wonderful. Thanks for asking. Great. I'm so uh, excited to be talking with you. I've been thinking about this conversation for a while. I wanted to first start out, what do you do now? Yeah. What do I do now? That's a question even my mom asks me. <laughs> what, what, what is it? He's in technical things. Yeah. I don't do computers. Actually, I work on them. In simple terms, we launch, operate, scale, and acquire uh, e-com brands uh, with a specific focus on Amazon FBA. Awesome. Can you define what does FBA yeah, fulfilled by Amazon. If you're not familiar with it, it's basically utilizing Amazon's infrastructure to deliver our products 
uh, from the customer support to the warehousing uh, to the truck rolls. Um, they handle a whole lot of that stuff uh, through FBA. Got it. So I'm going to circle back on that because I just have a world of questions in, 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 right. in that space. But before I do that, I know we were talking a little bit before the show started and we were talking about reinventing yourself. Yeah. I'd love to just get into a little bit of a discussion. You were sharing some things in terms of reinventing yourself. Yeah. And I think it resonates with most of us. We have to, we don't, we think we're set up for life and then life throws curveballs. Can you kind of start the, the dialogue on that? Yeah, it's the three to five year plan thing, right? Everybody's yeah. like, get your business plan down, get your three to five years. I'm like, holy crap, if I ever tried to follow my three to five year business plan, I would probably go insane. <laughs> uh, so in terms of reinventing, I mean, it goes back to the college days. It's just one thing. It's maybe my entrepreneurialism, my ADHD, my ability to not set still. I'm not sure what. But as I got into the third year of college, I was going after a computer science and business management degree. I started out with a full ride music scholarship. Uh, classical and trumpet and got to college on that. But then I'm like, man, internet's coming out. I'm going to date myself. (laughs) And I'm like, that's not what I want to do. Teach me how to do e-com. They're like, we can't do that. I'm like, crap. So I had to jump into the corporate world because there was no education for that point and how to teach you how to be online, how to do e-com. So I jumped in the corporate world. And from there, it was never ending reinvention. I didn't have a degree. So it was about what I could do. And the, the simple phrase I learned very quickly was it's who you know that gets you there and it's what you know that keeps you there. So as soon as I could figure out what I knew, I was then networking with the right people. Eventually worked and got myself into Sprint PCS right when it launched the first brick mobile phone, first mobile phone to market. That company exploded huge. I was a 5,000th employee. By the time I left, there was 80,000 employees wow. um, five years later. Just huge, huge, tremendous growth. And got to watch the whole mobile industry explode itself. So I had an affinity for mobile. I knew it. I saw the opportunity. Uh, took that ride into IBM where they picked me up one day and said, hey, come go to work for us. And I said, okay, cool. Again, no degree. Uh, worked in, it's again, who you know, right? So I made good friends with a partner at IBM and we worked on a project for about a year. And he said, hey, you know what? There's a job opening. You should come get it. And so I got interviewed in Armonk and I went to work for IBM. So again, still no degree. So I get to walk in and work with these amazing people. I was definitely the epitome of the dumbest guy in the room of a bunch of smart people. (laughs) I always felt that way. And uh, although I learned a lot and I shut my mouth and I just listened. And I had to kind of invent myself as the guy who was helping with knowledge and management and business operations. And we did things around search engines and latent semantic search engines and knowledge learning platforms and all this really amazing stuff. And I got to work even uh, out of our monk for a while where they do so many like 18,000 patents a year. So after I left IBM, I, they gave me an opportunity to change paths. And I said, sure, let's, let's do my own thing. I've been wanting to do that for a long time. I had a little side hustle with a game server company. And so we talk about reinventing yourself. Now I jumped into management consulting for my own practice and made IBM a client and went back to work on them and helped with the 20 cent census product and was doing mobile uh, lead generation, uh, which I kind of learned during the early days of Sprint and stuff about how the mobile networks worked and stuff. And before it was cool and before you could run a Facebook ad or a mobile ad, we were uploading spreadsheets into the back of the telco, sending advertising out into the world and doing dating apps in South Africa was one of my like biggest offers, right? Who knew so many people wanted to date in South Africa? <laughs> you know, when, once we were clearing about $1,000 a day in profit, we figured it out, right? So as we grew that out, I got more into the physical side of lead generation for companies that had products, ran some Series A funding, uh, learned how the funding world worked, learned about the patent world, and I invented some things that it was a part of with powerline technology and, and transfers of data over wireline and copper, um, which is a whole nother life. Talk about reinventing out in Oklahoma, where I spent about 14 years in the, both the public and the private sector. And then I really found my true passion in e-com. I mean, I'd had that inkling since I dropped out of college. I just never really got 
into the mode of saying, you know, can I really see myself being that for, for more than two to five minutes? Because it seems like things were just changing constantly. So I got into driving the physical product space and, you know, physical uh, digital, which is cool, you know, online to offline physical products. And then someone said one day, Hey, guess what? You can sell on Amazon. And I was like, what? You can sell on Amazon. I have no idea. This back in 2011. I had no idea you could sell on Amazon. Like most people didn't even realize it at that point. It's kind of common knowledge, I think now. Right. But he said, hey, they got traffic and you know, you should go check it out. I'm like, cool, I like traffic. So I went over there and it turns out it's a big search engine, a big search engine for physical products. It's like Google, but people buy stuff in 30 seconds. So I thought, okay, that's fascinating. Like I got to learn how this works. So when I realized it was like the search engines I was building at IBM, I spent the better part of about 18 months just playing with the system, learning how it worked. Then we started launching brands and then more brands turned into products. And then it just kept kept evolving uh, into a management company that started managing customer accounts. We were mentoring people. uh, And now we are evolving into the acquisition space where we are buying uh, brands on e-com, specifically FBA brands and Amazon, and then taking them out to mass market. My team is super senior level. Again, dumbest guy in a room of smart people. Don't know how I have my luck here. Just constantly changing and evolving. But Kevin Harrington's one of my partners in this. Uh, he's one of the uh, Shark Tank guys, uh, as seen on TV, infomercial guy, sold about $5 billion in products. Uh, he heads up the, the front-end marketing division with his uh, son, Brian. Um, Brandon Adams is in our team. He's a two-time Emmy award-winning uh, videographer for a, a show called Success in the City. And I just got some really senior people around me uh, on my team from my partner for the last eight years. Reed, who's a very, he's my right-hand man. He's my other guy. He's a non, you know, uh, he doesn't, he's, I seem ditzy at times to people. I know I do. I swear I'm not, but he's that guy who's level-headed logistics operational by the book, right? Which is not me. I got to uh, interrupt so, you though. I, if you don't mind, I got to interrupt yeah, you. I got go so many, so many questions and there's such, <laughs> such a good story here. Got on a rant there, didn't I? No, I so appreciate it. Good stuff. So, so what I really want to start, I've got a few different ones, but the first one is you, you mentioned several times, no degree, no degree. Yeah. What's your philosophy on that? Like, yeah. is that a chip on your shoulder that you don't have no degree and you're going to prove other people wrong? That's a great question. <laughs> Do you feel people need a degree to, you know, to excel? I'm just curious, like, because you hear sometimes people were so embedded nowadays to have a degree. Yeah. Like, what's your take on it? Well, I do happen to know that it, non-opinion, uh, the yeah, yeah. market has shifted in the last year to many more opportunities are out there where they, rem- you know, corporations have removed a degree requirement from most all of the, you know, platform requirements. So that's interesting to me. No, it's not against education by any measure. Education is very important. The type of education you need at the right time for the right way, whether you're deploying a, a course level of knowledge, a, a semester at a college for a specific degree type you're going after. I mean, you got to get a certification to be a doctor and get your license. You got to go that track if that's right. the way you want to go. That's very important in education. But I also realized that the fun of business is the fluidity of your ability to create. And again, I had a music background. I've always loved the ability. I love jazz. I love the fluidity of it. And business for me was a place where I could just create and different ways of doing business was how can you put two separate things together and make them both work, Uh, whether it's people or ideas or products or whatever. It's just a matter of standing in the middle and looking at these two things and saying, well, what are the similarities and how do I bring them together? And so I really found that was my my place. So without a degree, what happened is I, I just didn't fall in to the concept that there needs to be a structured way to apply business. There isn't. It's fluid, really. I mean, there are con- constructs around legalities and things you have to follow. But other than that, 
your ability to create and make things is about as infinite as the ideas you can come up with. Right. Uh, and so I like that concept that I got into and for others, it makes sense, but not for everybody. Uh, some folks need the structure of that education, totally respect that, but there's different ways to get education. There's different ways to deploy the capital for education and there's different purposes against it, right? Definitely. You can't get a mentor in college. I know people think that, but you can't. And it's kind of the same way that, you know, if you need specific help in math or English, you get a tutor, you get someone who's very specific to help you with this, right? So there's there's right ways to deploy that. And there are specific ways to deploy it. No one's ever asked me that question in that way. So it kind of catches me a little off guard. I, Sorry, that's, that's the last thing I want to do. No, that's great. I love great questions. But what I'm so fascinated by about you, I almost like earmark you as self-made in a way because you've you've persevered, you, you know, you no degree and you didn't let that stop you. I think there is a little bit, you know, just my two cents observation, maybe Mm. a little bit of a chip there. And I think the other thing that I found just incredible, incredible awareness. And I love this, this concept is not being the smartest guy in the room. I think (laughs) whether it's true or not, it's irrelevant. I think, I think the fact that we think that way or want to be that way, I think is what is another huge part of success. Because if you put really successful, intelligent, smart, whatever you want to call it, people around you, you open up your world You do by having those people around you. It's just a whole different world. True connectivity. Right. And here's the thing. It's arrogance and pride cometh before the fall. We know that, right? Right. Having spoken from a big fall, I went bankrupt. That's a lot of people's fears. I can tell you it's not the worst thing in life that will happen to you. (laughs) It was a strategic move based on a bad business deal that my lawyers were like, you need to get out of this. We're going to indemnify you. The best way to do it is a strategic bankruptcy. And I'm like, well, that sucks. Because the deal fell apart and it, you know, it went bad. It goes bad, you know. In fact, I read somewhere the other day the average millionaire has at least two to three bankruptcies or more. <laughs> it's, true. So it's true. You push the edge of the envelope on a lot of ways. You learn a lot of things, and one of those things I learned was obviously arrogance of pride means I don't, I can't know it all. I shouldn't know it all. I tried to know it all. I thought I could think my way out of it or move my way out of it. When in actuality, I wasn't listening to the wisdom that was around me, and that was a tough lesson to learn. Right? Tough lesson to learn. So when I started to humble myself more and get past that point and realize I was coming from a broken place at that point, so I was willing to listen, I started to hear others. And because of that, there was a more of a reciprocal and true connectivity to those around me who were just trying to help me, right? Business life or what other. So I had that hard fall and it really brought me back into check uh, of realizing we are not an island unto each other. We should not be, although things in the world today are kind of you know distancing us from each other. It's not really where we are as a group. It's not really how we learn as a people. It's not really how we get connectivity. And so, you know, there is ways to to do that in certain mechanisms that don't require education. And yeah, I probably do have a little chip because honestly, as I was going to get out of that and, and go do my thing, I had a lot of people trying to hold me back. Really? A lot of people, uh, really. And if I had stayed in there, I probably would have bailed out of college and lived in a van down by the river <laughs> because I would have given in to that bad mindset, had bad company and bad advice. Right. I had a lot of people holding me down, right? And like, this is stupid. You can't do that. Why are you ruining your education? You can't jump out, you know, la, la, la. Yeah. So I don't know if I have as I shoulder as much about education or as much as about the whole scenario that led me to like feeling like I had to break out of this, like I was yeah. confined, like get me out of here, right? I think that's almost a conversation in itself. I was on a podcast the other day, someone was interviewing me and we were talking about starting a business and how my whole family thought I was crazy to leave a, a very well-paying job to do it. And right. you know, you, you have those naysayers in your life and it's of course always good once you overcome it, but it's if you listen to them, your, your path could go in a whole different direction. So I think that's part to You're your really point. You're really good. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's just where we've got an ingrained idea that education or that specific track is the only real choice that people have to be successful. And I would speak against that today because my own experiences, again, with tenacity and a willingness to overcome and your ability to learn, adapt, and adjust, you are not being suppressed in the market if you don't just follow the degree track through education. I think that's a misnomer. I think it's a lot of marketing from the higher educations to make people feel like there's not opportunity. And you know, I personally know that there is a ton of opportunity for every person in America who's willing to fight for it. So true. That's what makes it so great here. Hey, I want to switch gears before we get mm-hmm. into the more specifics of FBA and Amazon and your ideal uh, customer. I'd love to talk a little bit about acquiring companies. You said that's kind of a new segment of your area. Absolutely. You know, I was looking at websites over the last few years and the multiples on websites. A lot of times the ones that are listed are, are FBA type Amazon type websites. They might be private label products. How are you getting that space? How are you valuing? What does that market look like right now? I'd love to just get your insight. And what's your end goal once you acquire them? I, I didn't quite understand. You mentioned you were going to mass market them. Help me to ex- kind of explain your thesis there. Yeah. So we have been in the acquiring and selling of these businesses for a while. We just never put them in a specific portfolio with a business-oriented goal behind it. Okay. Um, part of what we do is we uh, we work with a small group of people uh, in mentoring them to put their business online and scale it to seven and eight figures. In a mentoring capacity, we're business builders first. We just chose e-com as our method of business building. And we happen to choose Amazon FBA as the way to incubate those products in that marketplace for people who want to buy products in 30 seconds or less. We solve the traffic problem and a brand problem by incubating them into Amazon first, right? So once we adapt that, we saw that this market had an evolution path. We knew it was going to eventually move in like every market segment moves through growth, capitulation, consolidation, and markets grow and change as they get their adoption and bell curve. And we knew eventually FBA businesses would see the market of e-com become a channel that's mature. And we are witnessing that in the last 18 months, right? It's taken quite a while for it to get here. So you're seeing a lot more of those businesses being put for sale because the market is maturing enough for investor funds and larger home offices and others to get involved in buying these companies. And just to be very clear, in the last 18 months, $6 billion has been deployed in capital to purchase those brand channels, okay? $2 billion in the last 45 days. That's how fast this is moving, right? And I was on a call today with an investment group that's like, hey, we're going to invest 50 to $100 million per a deal. And they're like, could you restructure yours just a little bit to see how it might work with us? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Let me talk to my partners. <laughs> um, but it's just a different deployment. So what we get down to is you know, our skill sets are a little unique in this way. We're uh, building these companies. We've always thought about building from the very beginning uh, because it's always worth more in the end when you do this the right way. And the exit has always been on our mind. So when we formed portfolios, we formed it in such a way where we give investors a passive opportunity to buy these companies, bring them into our management stack giving consolidations, shared services, operational independence, and of course, the ability to capitalize, grow, and have the knowledge base necessary to maintain these companies and grow them up. Getting them in at 3 to 4x is where the marketplace is setting right now, depending upon how much revenue and profit they have. We're typically looking at a company. I don't know how granular you want me to get into the details. Your audience is probably like, what the heck is he talking about? I'm a little curious. Yeah, We're looking at net profits around 15% that we can get to 18 to 20% on a business and then grow it from that 3 to 4x uh, up to 6x to 8x uh, and planning in the next 24 months to acquire 36 of those brands targeted. Uh, for their mass market appeal. So the Amazon aggregation space, uh, where all that capital is being deployed, 
uh, is typically buying just the FBA channel and their whole what's called pro forma or their business model and their base case is built off of the concept of just that single channel. Since we're innovators and we're coming to market a little bit later because you know the first guy to the first guy up the hill gets the arrows in the back, right? <laughs> is to make sure that we see where the innovation lies. And as any bell curve grows up, capitulation again, as I mentioned, consolidation has not arrived yet. I see it arriving in the next 18 months. And because of that, we're going to see changes and shifts in the market. And we see the opportunity. And through my partnerships with this group that is now my senior lead team, we're going to take those products off Amazon and we're going to mass market them. Infomercials, TV, radio ads, QVC, everywhere, right? Because they're already uh, established brands. Yep. They have great sales. They just don't have household names. Right. And so we're going to go a little different. We're going to take that. We're going to base our, our pro form, our base case and portfolios off just the FBA channel which is very strong by itself and looks very good in 36 months. But then we're going to add on what we call that blue sky, that evergreen component. And we're going to put in the profits where the main, you know, mainstream, uh, the other 70% of people who do retail shopping and online uh, purchase outside of Amazon. So we're doing it slightly different. So it's like you're going to put it on steroids, basically. I mean, you're going to put it on steroids is a good way to say yeah, that. Because I mean, that's awesome. I mean, Amazon brings you a ton of traffic. It brings you Correct. a lot of quick sales. But to your point, like the world isn't, it's, you know, the only people that get to your product on Amazon are the people that Amazon wants to show it to, basically. Very smart. Yeah, your market's somewhat limited. So that's it. That's fascinating. So I now I want to shift gears. Let's talk about your, your company is Voltage Digital Marketing and your website is Voltage DM. Tell me what you guys do in, in terms of the audience. Who's your target market? How does someone get an entryway into your business and, and you could potentially help them out? I'd love to go down a, a lane of talking about that. Sure. Well, just trying to inform, but really not sounding any pitchy. I'll sure, just try to say sure. this in plain English, right? We are Amazon growth consultants, first and foremost. We are very good at understanding the market. We have uh, obviously done this for a long time. We have software and tools and built data sets that have launched over 60,000 FBA products between ourselves and our clients. So we're, we have a very good data warehouse to, to pull from to understand what are the right products and profit margins and numbers we should expect as we build a business quarter by quarter and annually by annually? So what we do is we work with folks who really understand the business growth component and that the exit and the asset-driven model that is physical products is a great exit potential in 18 months. So we're looking for people who understand the need to deploy capital in this market, who put up fifty dollars to $100,000 in a year to build a real business model. They understand the longevity, the profitability of e-com, and they see it as a really serious business opportunity. Uh, they might be investing into other things like rental, short-term rentals, infinite banking, or you know, real estate deals, or these kinds of things. And they're looking for another way to potentially bring up a passive income stream because of the way we do this. It can be passive for our business builders. We have account managed services that run 100% of our clients' accounts for them. Uh, so as they establish and become the CEO, uh, we look for people who obviously uh, understand 10 to 15 hours a week to build a company is not a big deal, really, but is a requirement of understanding the market. For those who do, I have uh, stay-at-home moms who are mastering this. I have 19-year-old high school dropouts. Mm -hmm. I got people who've got golf course management degrees and theology degrees who are experts in high-end luxury goods now. And because they launched, it really has to do with their dedication to it. So it really gets down to people wanting to understand that if I'm going to deploy a business, if I'm going to look at it almost like a franchise and an incubator model, but without profit sharing or ownership requirements, because we have a phrase in our company, keep it all and keep it small. 
The goal here is for you to have a runway from launch to exit with voltage from the time you develop and build the brand to the time you can remove yourself from the business passively, and then you can exit it to portfolios. So we really have a full run up for folks who are really interested and serious about building companies with e-com. So is your ideal client then someone that literally is coming in with nothing and you'll work with them to get them started? Or do they, is that an ideal client or is it really? It is because they haven't been in the market. And and sometimes we get people who take courses and have been a little burned, or maybe they did things like retail arbitrage or wholesale or online arbitrage with these kinds of things. And they've got a little bit of a, speaking of chip, a little chip on their shoulder (laughs) about Amazon and how evil it is and how they steal your brands and they'll do their basic brand stuff and all these things. And we speak against that because we've never had that problem because we're operating at a different level of business inside of Amazon. So because of that, we don't see those same issues. We are registered, we're trademarked, we have IP within our companies. We structure that foundation very strong uh, to go ahead and even compete with Amazon if necessary uh, in that marketplace. So you're creating actually private label type products and then you're trade marketing and creating a brand and... All IP. Got right? it. Got it. Do you test it first before you go down that trade Absolutely. Market? Okay. Got you it. You can know about 80% of the data before you go to market, but the other 20% is extremely critical and you do not know it until you start selling. So our launch process is over 90 days. We test the products. We determine their marketability and predict by the numbers that in 90 days, they're going to hit expected marks uh, or that product goes away and another one comes in. So again, you run that business without a lottery mindset mentality. We're running it by the numbers, no emotions. No, the only time we have emotions is when we're choosing the brands and stuff. But even then, my senior team is experienced in creating the assets. And as we work in that incubator format, people don't have to guess. They just know where we're going. We're taking them to Gold Mountain, and I'm keeping them out of Dry Gulch, which is where everybody else goes. <laughs> no water in Dry Gulch. Now, do you help your client? Like, I imagine you have relationships with sourcers. Do you help them with those relationships and who you can trust and who you can't trust? And just all that, all that world that opens up to when you're trying to find private label products. I am setting my builders up to replicate my business model, to see my companies running as they are right now, and to utilize my infrastructure, same as a franchise model. The only difference is you don't have to hire 15-year-olds and scoop ice cream on the weekends, (laughs) right? This is a business model that allows you to go anywhere. So you use my sourcing agents. We have a lot of them, uh, trusted manufacturing supply chains, redundant supply chains, manufacturing. we got the graphics and accounting and structure of business all from the very beginning, how to set up your LLC, your taxation, the whole nine yards. We're setting you up for an exit. So we want to help you get this business to a point where it will be acquirable. Not everybody understands what that looks like, having to acquire or sell a business. But we make sure you know from the very beginning how to structure that correctly, because ultimately I'm setting up a pipeline. This is my big evil capitalistic agenda. You ready for it? <laughs> where we can buy your company. <laughs> Imagine it as being you guys have your so your hands so into it, you pretty much can value it and you know what's going on. You you know the right. data. It makes for an easy sale if someone gets to that stage. It's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. What kind of capital if someone comes to you and they go, gosh, I want to do this. I want you to hold my hand all the way through it. What kind of capital do you tell your typical client they're going to need to do this? To be very serious, our game plan is a, is uh, to develop a brand that has at least five products in it. Okay, there's a lot of reasons for that I won't go into, but sure. it has to do with both the brand recognition, but Amazon's recognition of your brand too. Uh, and at the end of that, you will typically deploy anywhere between twenty five to fifty thousand uh, to get everything going. 
and get it off the ground, get it launched, get it validated. At that point, we have uh, Amex Alliance partnerships uh, within our company and other ways to credit these businesses off the business so we can use other people's money to scale that company up. So the goal here is obviously to get into the business, get the first capital deployed, and then leverage the capital from the existing sales in your business and the history of the business sales so you don't have to keep forking out capital, especially when you know they're selling. It's a very easy way to get capital these days. Yeah, and that's a pretty modest investment. Now, do you help the individual, literally those five products in the brand? I imagine they probably either complement each other or in the same niche area. Do you help them with that type of analysis and testing? And is that part of your service too? Absolutely, man. Everything's run by data points. Um, So there's about 27 data points that the products have to match up with. Uh, three very critical ones, profit ROI percentage and net profit per unit. Uh, when those match up or go green on our, our spreadsheets, literally that's a product you can sell on your brand. And there's a cost to deploy that product. And it literally pops in to the sheet and tells you it's $1,795. It's $17,000. It's $170,920. That's what it is, right? And then you can determine which of those products to launch in your brand. See, the problem is that people think there's, you know, the question we get a lot of times is like, what the hell do I sell? Right. Like, well, I, like you could talk about a business all day long, but I don't even know what the first product is that I have to even freaking sell. We solve that problem. We get you to the point of you identifying 500 products in 21 days. Every business builder does the same thing. Once I take you through those steps, suddenly you realize you have another problem. And that is... How much capital and time do I have to deploy all the products that I realize I can sell now? It's actually the different way. Because we go after a different segment. We're not selling products that are $25 or less. We're not caring about bestseller badges and stuff or race to the product pricing. We're finding holes in niches where there's three to five competitors and we just dominate them, right? And when I mean dominate, there's eight-figure businesses setting in those. People think in a scarcity mindset, there's not enough traffic or money on Amazon for me to grow a business. Well, I've got repeatable eight-figure businesses that will prove you wrong. Uh, there is plenty to be made there when you do it the right way. Yeah, I was fascinated. I, d- I did a little private label stuff many years ago. And um, I did these these dog uh, treat pouches. And nice. I went to a bunch of sourcers. And I had kind of had fun with it. I had a little bit of capital. And I, I think I ordered about three to 5,000 of them. So I had a whole garage full of boxes that my wife definitely didn't wasn't too crazy about. But what, yeah. uh, what amazed me is how easy it was to sell them. It was a lot of work and I didn't outsource a lot of stuff. I was actually packaging boxes, if you can believe that, to send to FBA. It was a lot of work. It was not fun. And it's kind of what ultimately said, you know, I don't think this is something I want to do long term. I realized I could outsource it, but I just, I wasn't really making a lot of money on it, frankly. And so I got out of it. But what was amazing to it was just how easy it was to sell. I mean, it was just like, there were just so many buyers just blew my mind. Like they just, if you priced it, I mean, obviously I had to give up a little bit of profit, but I could totally manipulate how much I wanted to sell and how fast. That is the opportunity for sure, especially in an inflationary situation uh, where you control the pricing. Yeah. You can move with the inflation. It's a hedge against inflation, which is why we're so leveraged into physical products. Uh, just to be very clear and transparent, right? There's a lot of opportunity with physical products when you control the retail pricing and you can move with the market. Interesting. Uh, and so there's huge opportunities for that, especially in today's segment. But yeah, automation is a huge component. Our businesses are set up to be automated. So we don't have to manage them more than five to 10 hours a week. The rest of it is completely managed. Um, we have virtual assistants. We have no employees anymore. I mean, we used to have 12 employees, 20,000 square feet of warehouse, and we were truck rolling 10 trucks a week. So I know exactly what that looks like, and I don't ever want to do it again. And I don't recommend it for anybody, (laughs) ultimately, Uh, because Amazon has an amazing infrastructure you can leverage. 
that will take care of all that. And so now we use third-party companies uh, strategically through the United States. And then, of course, Amazon. Uh, and we work on just a little bit more just-in-time inventory so we don't have to package anything in our garages or anything like that. And you did say something a minute ago. You said three to 5,000 units of your little dog bowl, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we would have had you do, just so those are who are listening, we would have had you buy maybe two to 300 units of each color variation of that product and then go to market. It's sort of an investment strategy. It's been deployed in other ways. You Instead of putting five million into one business, you may put a million dollars into five businesses. The goal is that one of those businesses is going to make up more profit and revenue than the other four combined, right? So it's an investment strategy. So we do the same thing as we purchase companies, as we do with deploying products. We're going to test three, five of these colors, variations, et cetera. We're going to find out what the market really wants once we get the data back. And then we're going to go hard into that market. And then we're going to take one of those products and drop them 100 SKUs down in the way we do it. You'll take that vertical and you'll just keep go farther, farther into that vertical uh, because everything at that point is known, repetitive, and easier to scale to the point where you can go to seven or eight figures in 12 months or less. I find that so fascinating, just how it's so scientific in terms of the process. And if you just stay within the kind of within the the, the plan and the rules, you're almost, I don't want to say guaranteed to success because nothing's guaranteed, but you definitely raise your your odds. It's more foolproof. I can guarantee yeah. you that. Yeah, that's uh, cool. Is there a guarantee that every product's a home run? No, we have no lottery mindset, no scratch and sniff mindsets around <laughs> here. <laughs> right? Nobody plays that game in business. If you are, that's maybe why you're not in business. Yeah. We play by the numbers. Um, you get emotions out of the way and you find there's a lot of opportunity. Now, places we won't sell, it's back to the thing you said a minute ago. I think it's important to mention places we won't sell. We don't go into electronics. Uh, electronics is super competitive. It takes way too much innovation and there's a lot of saturation points. Now, on the flip side, If you get in and you got in early or you can get in hard with a lot of capital, there's a lot of units to be moved. There's a lot of product to be made. I have some friends that are doing between 1,000 to 6,000 units a day out of the electronics, but they're falling into a lot of trouble managing it, really, at the end of the day. We don't do anything on the skin or in the mouth because not only Amazon's compliance, but you get the alphabet soup above you in compliance and it becomes very difficult. We know that firsthand because we owned a supplement company. Sure. And it was very difficult to manage on Amazon. And there's a lot of people who will play you know, ethics with their employees and here's your policy for ethics. But when it comes to business, they don't play in the ethics game very well. And they'll do anything to destroy you if necessary. And so the other place we don't play in with is clothing. We don't play clothing because uh, while it can have good profit margins, it's a lower volume. Um, it's a lower volume of movement and there's a lot of returns, uh, as you can possibly imagine. That's what I would have thought, the returns. Yep. It has a lot of returns and it has a lot more overhead. It, there are good uh, ways to get into it, especially if you have an influencer or you are an influencer and you have outside traffic and means to move that product. You can uh, now, through Amazon's brand referral program, uh, actually monetize your traffic off Amazon by sending it back to Amazon and making between 5 to 30% off of those sales and that traffic coming back in through the brand referral program, which is cool because Amazon really is now showing that it wants brands and it's rewarding brands and it's giving you a lot of opportunity to be branded. And if you're selling in any other capacity, all the negative things you'll hear on YouTube, all the negative things you'll read about in the forums and stuff are typically people who have not built a business, protected their IP and are serious about running it. They're typically side hustles you know, this kind of stuff. And they're flipping products for profit. They're not really solving solutions. They're messing with somebody else's brand. Is that arbitrage world dead? I, I was so floored. You know, you're talking about most people know nowadays that that people can sell products on Amazon. Yeah. The first time I heard about it, it like blew me away because I'm like, wait, people are going to, you know, Walmart and then driving home in their car with a bunch of candy bars and then they're put, you know, leaving them in their garage for a month. 
And then they're, <laughs> then they're sending it to Amazon to sell yes. it. And that, that yes. actually, people are really yep. doing that. Is that still alive or, or is that died? It is. It really? is. I actually have three builders in my group right now who, who do this on a wholesale distribution model, similar to arbitration. Uh, they're not shopping their way to Walmart and stuff <laughs> like that and Target's which is another whole thing, but they are wholesale palleting products and stuff and getting brands. They do between each one does about three to three million a year, uh, three, three and a half million a year. But why are they with us? They're building brands. They know that they are operating in a area that's light to gray. And they know that at some point, Amazon is now shutting those accounts down because they simply don't want the returns, the issues, uh, boxes delivered with one product that gets another product. I mean, there's just all kinds of problems that are hurting Amazon's system and it's becoming a big problem for it. So they're really getting uh, to crack down in compliance now. In fact, they kicked off a billion dollars in revenue here about a month and a half ago. I don't know if you heard about this or not, mm-hmm. but a security audit was a breach was uh, identified about 200,000 sellers that were doing black hat you know, tactics with Amazon from review manipulation to sales manipulation. 12 major Chinese competitors were removed to the tune of about a billion dollars taken off of the system because they we know, and it's been going on for a long time, but guess what? There's a new CEO in town and there is a new VP of compliance within Zeller Performance. And so now things are getting more interesting, right? Yeah. I know the one where, and I imagine there's a lot more sophisticated than this, where they'll actually just randomly send you something to your home and mm-hmm. that's a way they can actually write a review on in, oh, on behalf of your all name. Kinds so, of good things. yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more sophisticated <laughs> than that. Um, oh man, there's been some networks of things that blow your mind. If there is such a thing, I almost feel bad for Amazon because I only could imagine they must have a whole business unit, if not more, of yeah. compliance type people trying to figure out how the system's being scammed. They do. Yeah, yeah. a lot of counterfeit, a lot of sellers. Uh, my my partner did a thing the other day. He test ordered 10 products from Amazon, 10 random d- different products. He was doing it for a kind of a case study within our group. Yeah. And he got all 10 of them back. Only three of them were actual branded. The other seven were looked like they were branded, but they were actually packaged in a box and non-branded specific. And in one instance, the product wasn't even the actual product he ordered. Wow. So Amazon right now is fighting that. And those of you who maybe are doing that wholesale retail arbitrage stuff, be very careful because Amazon's on the warpath that you know keeps up you're hurting their market share you're hurting their revenue share and of course you know you can yell and scream all day long about amazon killing your account or doing whatever but if you're not playing by the rules yeah. or you're not playing right you're going to get shut down right and we really don't worry about that we don't worry about it we don't worry about amazon stealing our products because we're playing at a different level and we set up everything uh, to make sure that we're stabilized and we haven't lost an account in eight years very cool hey i feel like there's something i'm not asking you here about your business oh, is yeah? there anything that i've left out or anything you'd love to share before we get to a couple final questions here. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, other than to say that ecom is is amazing because I can live on forty acres in the country. <laughs> <That is amazing. laughs> I have a very expensive internet connection yeah. where I am at, uh, so that I can be out where I am and hang out with my family. It's created an amazing lifestyle business. You know, we can take off for a month and go to the beach, and everything still runs. We can travel. We can do different things. Uh, we can stay out here on the farm and homeschool, and yet our business still runs. I think that's one of the amazing things about e-com, at least for my business, that you know, after being in the corporate world and traveling 300 days a year with IBM and other nonsense like that, I feel blessed every day to get up and be able to do the life by design. Very cool. Which is one of the big things about this kind of business model. Yeah. Can you share something with us from your learnings uh, and what you've experienced that, that might help our business life or our personal life? Just a little tip. Do you got anything that stands out that you're open to sharing? 
Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, again, I said this a minute ago, I'll repeat it. Going bankrupt is not the worst thing that can happen <laughs> to you. <laughs> it might feel like it at the time and it may be super embarrassing, right. but it's not. I think at the end, you know, mindset plays a huge role in success. I get asked the very you know, same question a lot of times by folks. And that is, you know, how many people work with you that are successful and how many people fail? And I'm like, by asking that question, you already gave me the answer. Because the component of success in business, from my experience, has really been about mindset. It's been about reframing and refocusing what your challenges are and realizing you're not alone. There are other people that are facing those challenges. They are overcomable and why they may feel insurmountable at the time that they occur. I can guarantee you, if it hasn't killed you, you can still get up in the morning and fight it the next day. So just remember to keep moving forward. You know, Be an action taker. Be a go-getter. Overcome those challenges uh, that many people have faced. And remember to keep time as a construct of everything you're doing. You spend it like your money. Spend it wisely. Spending it on activities, not productivity, masked as activity. And I see that happening a lot with business owners. Hey, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm busy, busy. I'm posting. I'm doing all this stuff. And it's like, well, did you benefit from that? No. Okay. Was it an actual revenue generating activity? Well, I thought so. No, I think that was just more activity. (laughs) So, you know, be very focused on what you do. And remember to keep positive. Find joy in the little things. Yeah, those were some great tips. You actually gave us bonus tips there. I, I agree with you. You know, as a business coach, one of the things that I find comes up so much is there's a lot of activity, but oftentimes it's on the wrong thing. And I love how you say it's, or, you know, make sure it's a revenue activity or at least a certain amount of time a day that should be on revenue activity. We can get so obsessed with posting social media things and all these things, podcasts, whatever you want to say, yep. none of them really bring you closer to the gate. So that, those are some great tips. Mindset too. I could go on all day about that one. It, it's uh, one that can either uh, take you over the over the hill or, or leave you at the bottom of the hill. Well, it really can. It is a huge difference. And definitely when I talk to folks that I'm interested in working with, because it's a two-way street, right. I don't need to mentor anybody. I choose to mentor the right ones. And you know, I always ask certain questions to trip them up and see how their emotional status responds to my rejection. Did they reject the the concept or did they reject me? And it's a very interesting way to determine whether or not someone is going to be successful in this business or not. Because I can, if I say no to the right people, I get a very bad response. <laughs> and it kind of self-justifies, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. So, hey, so VoltageDM.com. VoltageDM.com is your main website. You also have another website that's got an overview video, ASIN360.com. Now, of course, I'll put these in the show notes. If anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the easiest way to do? Where would you like them to go? Uh, I mean, go over to Voltage DM. There's a there's a training for free that you guys can watch that will cover a lot about what we do in the business builders. And there's a simple call to action there to literally text me if you think this is a business model you're serious about. You will reach me. I don't have a sales team. Like I said, I work very closely with the people we're involved in at the business level and the network we're involved in. Um, so I'm interested in working with serious people. You can just text me the word Tyler if you want. So I know that it was tracked from this call and make it interesting for those who want to get involved and watch the videos. And there's some uh, great information there that gives a little more detail uh, about what we're doing. Very cool. Well, Neil, you are a blast to listen to. You got something cool going on. I'd love to catch up with you again as you get a, a little more into the uh, the mass market space because that sounds fascinating. I hope you have a great day. I'd love just love the conversation and, and appreciate your time. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate you having me on, sir. Have a great one. All right. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. 
If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big home. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.